Welcome to episode 10 of the Unstoppable Leader podcast with your host, Maria Patisetti. Today's guest is a very special Unstoppable Leader, Andrea Culligan. Now, Andrea is currently partner in Deloitte, but that's not what I was so excited about for today. It's the journey that got her there. Andrea started and ran seven businesses across two countries. And the journey is the one that is so memorable and so many lessons learned for her. And she's about to share that with us today. We go through all of her trials and tribulations, the successes, the ups and downs. And what I love about this episode is the authenticity with which Andrea shared the journey, including mental health. I really hope you get out of this what I got out of it because I actually listened to this several times. Thank you so much for being here and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Unstoppable Leader podcast with your host, Maria Patisetti. And today's guest is a very special, unstoppable leader, Andrea Culligan. Now, Andrea is currently partner at Deloitte Monitor, but what has me excited is the journey that Andrea has been on to get to where she is today. Now, Andrea, a while ago, founded and ran seven businesses across Australia and Canada. She is Canadian. The accent will give it away. And she has won many awards. New South Wales Telstra Young Businesswoman of the Year, New South Wales Telstra Small Business of the Year, BRW Fast 100 list, and many, I'm sure, Andrea. But her journey that's very exciting for me personally is the journey that she took between the years of 2014 and 2016, where she spent time with meditation specialists in Vietnam, ashrams in India and Cambodia, and Andrea spent some time singing in Nashville, and she's a blues singer. Welcome, Andrea. <laughs> To my Welcome. jazz fans. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Maria. I'm so excited. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege because I know how much you've done in life and, not life and I know that our listeners will benefit a lot from the lessons you've learned, Andrea, and that's my intention to, for people, the people who are listening to walk away with practical things that they could use right now. And right now, um, right in the middle of COVID is a fantastic time to be speaking with somebody like you. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, I'm delighted. Thank you for asking me. So the first question I have is, how did you get started in business and how did your life and journey end with the start of those businesses? My God, <laughs> I love these questions because, uh, you know, when I listen to other podcasts and people have these really formulaic approaches to, I identified this really big problem and I solved it with purpose. Let me kind of start from the beginning. So thank you so much for clarifying that I am Canadian. It used to be my kind of first line, which is I'm Canadian, not American, especially through the election, because I just didn't want to engage in the conversation, I wanted to play quite neutral. Uh, but I have been in Australia for 23 years now. So longer in Australia than I have been in Canada, which is an interesting feeling. Um, I was raised in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is kind of a mining town. Uh, you know, I had this big aspiration to maybe be a secretary one day. Uh, one of the things that I was incredibly inspired by was, and those of my age will remember the film, Melanie Griffiths, Griffiths was uh, the lead star in a film called Working Girl. Yes. And I was just so excited by this carrying a briefcase down the street, and, you know, these trainers with my slouch socks walking down New York City streets. And I thought, I just want to be that. I don't really care how. And I wanted to be this, you know, this fantastic secretary. And I didn't, you know, my dad was a car salesman and an insurance salesman, a fantastic one, really passionate about customer experience and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there wasn't any really white collar environment in my house. 
And we didn't really have friends or family that exuded those type of roles or experiences. So I didn't, you know, they always say you can't be what you can't see. Right. And so I just, I thought, you know, I'm just going to be this great secretary. I didn't have these great big aspirations. And then I decided to leave Canada for what was supposed to be a three month holiday. Now my father is Australian. And so I was gifted with Australian citizenship very early on and I didn't need to get a visa or anything. And I landed in Brisbane with $300 to my name. And I always share this story because it's a really big tip on making sure that you use experts who have been there before. I went into the travel agency and said, I want to go to Australia. I want to go to the city that's closest to the beach. Uh, can I get a ticket for that? And she sent me to Brisbane. And I'll just, I'll never forget that moment of like, she's obviously never been to Australia. For those on the call who don't know, Brisbane is probably the furthest away from a beach. Um, so <laughs> it was a bit of a, like, all right, never trust an expert who hasn't done it themselves. So anyways, I landed in Brisbane. I only had $300 to my name. And I had left a, 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 you know, my family and everything behind me and just decided to kind of say yes. And it was really the beginning of what I lovingly label life 2.0. And it helped me explore possibilities I never thought possible. And it pushed me out of my comfort zone on so many occasions. I lived in some of the most remote parts of Australia. I had some of the most unusual jobs. I ran pubs in Cape York in the middle of nowhere where I was a third woman in town. I guided kayaking trips out of Southwest Australia. I ran whale watching tours in boats, uh, on boats in Harvey Bay. And what was funny is that in every one of those opportunities that I entertained or engaged in, you know, someone asked me, have you had experience doing this before? And I'm of course I have. You know, I'm from the prairies in Canada. I've never Constance. run a whale watching boat before in my life. I've been kayaking a couple of times. Um, so, you know, I just kind of just took it, you know, by charge and, and fell into these environments. I was living in Cape York when uh, I had a phone call from one of my dear friends uh, who lived in California at the time. And she said, I'm coming to Cairns. You must meet me there. And we're going to go to Sydney. I'm like, I don't want to go go to Sydney. I don't like big cities. I'm a country girl. You know, what am I, I don't want to go to these big city environments. And she's like, no, no, just meet me in Cairns. And she basically just didn't give me an option, hung up the phone. And a month later I met her in Cairns and we, she came from a very wealthy family and I didn't. And I also love meeting new people. So she's like, let's stay in hotels. And I'm like, let's stay in 12 person dorms. So we have this, this interesting experience of taking a bus down the coast to Sydney and my first night in Sydney, staying in the Menzies Hotel, which is actually now being uh, demolished into yes. a building box, but it was a really iconic hotel. And she's like, we're staying in this hotel and I'm paying for it. But it's this iconic Sydney experience and going out and seeing the Harbour Bridge. And it started to open my eyes into what was possible. And I'm so grateful for so many reasons. Firstly, she unfortunately passed away from a brain aneurysm at the age of 28, oh. only three years later. Um, and, and obviously left this great legacy. She's the one who brought me to Sydney. Wow. Um, really. And, and then, you know, I started to just keep flowing into these environments and flow is actually now probably more of my life of a consideration than it was at the time, but it was how I lived my life, which was like, oh, I don't really have control over this. I'm probably a little bit more directed now. And I started working in technology because I thought it was different and unique. And I joined a startup uh, that was creating Australia's first free email service 
uh, an online community. We were bold, courageous, a bit uncouth. Um, you know, our tagline was I'm free, I'm easy, uh, because we could give away free email addresses. And you can imagine like the guerrilla marketing the stuff that you just could not do now. We used to walk into pubs on university campuses because we knew that university students were a really great market. They understood this evolution of technology yes. and we would have these, um, coasters created that gave people an opportunity to pick up others in the bar using these coasters saying I'm wow. free, I'm easy. <laughs> How good was it? Good marketing, great marketing. Yeah, I'd be bloody arrested now if I did that. But, and, and we never asked for permission. We used to just like go and put these coasters in pubs and then put stickers on doors and things like that. And then about six months after I started, I had one other colleague that I was uh, working with who was one of the uh, founders of the business. He resigned. Uh, he didn't really want the startup life. And I was offered equity in the business and I took it. And from there, it became a roller coaster of 17 years. Wow. So it's, I like to show that story and reasoning and rationale because I didn't graduate from university. Mm. We may talk about it. I'm not a, an academically driven person. My brother sent my report card that my father had <laughs> from my high school years. And it was like chemistry, 42%, mathematics, 38%. Like I was a failure at everything. And the two things that I was fantastic at, drama was 80%, performing arts was 97%. Um, you know, so I wasn't this academic person who had this formulaic wisdom of what does entrepreneurship and, and life look like. It was the attributes of saying yes, of diving in, of going with the flow, of connecting people, of being bold, mm -hmm. um, that kind of put me into the foray of the uncomfortable and realizing that that's actually where I fit the best. Yeah, because I was also thinking the other thing that a lot of people think about is you hear these stories of entrepreneurs who, who were entrepreneurs since the age of six. So it's kind of nice to hear that you weren't an entrepreneur at six and 13, because some people also think, oh my gosh, I was never an entrepreneurial mind at that age. So can I ever become one? It's funny. So I reflect back on this. So no, I didn't like I did the lemonade stands and yes. all that kind of stuff. Like, I, people think that that's a unique thing. No, we all did it in, you know, in different ways. <laughs> you were born in the seventies. You yeah. inevitably had a lemonade stand because your parents didn't give you pocket money. And that was the only way you were going to get some coin. Yeah. No one at that point, like I listen yeah. to parents now, they're like, Oh yeah, my daughter had a lemonade stand. And I taught her about the value of the lemons and the cost of the sugar. And I never did that. It was just like, wow, what's in the cupboards? Chuck it in a bucket and off we go. Um, but it wasn't for the purpose of starting a business. Right. So yeah. But I do reflect, so my father is innately, even if he won't admit it, is an entrepreneur at heart. And wow. his entire life was built on a commission-only structure. So if he didn't make bank or make business, then he didn't eat. And that was a pretty roller coaster environment. But he, him and I actually started creating and working on a, a fleet and lease business that uh, I kind of ran with him when I was in my teenage years. And at the time, it was just, well you know, this is what I do. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, entrepreneurship. Yeah. No, it wasn't a startup. It was like, Oh, well, no, we can see that there's a, a gap here. And, and dad's asked me to help out. And, you know, I've got the, the charisma to go and have a chat with people. And they're shocked that this kind of 15 year old is kind of getting them to sell sign. Yeah. Deals. Um, I have to ask you though, yeah. are you always confident and confident and bold? I've always been bold. Yeah. Where did you get that from? Uh, I absolutely say my dad. 
So dad's Australian, left home when he was 16, traveled the world for seven years. You talk about charisma and he's just probably one of the funniest men I have ever met in my life. Um, And that comes with its own case of, you know, of scenarios that, you know, when you're a teenager, you're like, I just wish you were a little bit normal. Um, But that sense of boldness and also, you know, and Brene Brown talks about this. She she has a, a specific description of how when she left her house, there was like a warrior cry. Mm-hmm. And my dad used to do that to us as kids. He would look at us as we left the house at certain times of our life. And he'd say, what's your last name? And we'd be like, Colligan, what's your last name? Colligan. And he'd be like, ah! and then we'd run out of the house and like wonder why we got speeding tickets within the first 10 minutes. Right. But, but dad kind of created this sense of like, push, shove, make it happen. You can do anything. And when I got, glasses i'll never forget when i had to get uh, glasses to read a computer screen i was so devastated and my boyfriend at the time was like what is your problem like that just glasses get over yourself and i'm like yeah but now i can't be a fighter pilot oh. and he said but did you want to be a fighter pilot i said no but now it's the one thing i can't do and so you know dad always told me that everything was possible and i think what i'm seeing interesting now is i'm building on that and now thinking bigger than I, you know, I wasn't necessarily raised with achievable big picture thinking. It was like, you can do anything. And, you know, to your point, Maria, the practicality of that was like, what the hell does that mean for someone like me? You know, am I going to be an astronaut? What, what do I get excited? I don't know. Whereas now I look and I go, oh, okay. Now I'm starting to understand. I didn't see bigger, but I know I had the boldness to get there. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely, absolutely does. Now, that first business of yours did very well, very quickly. I read that it was about four years you hit several million dollars and obviously very, very mm. successful. What was that like, that journey? Clearly, you were you were a co-founder, is that right, Andrew? There were a couple of owners. I was or? a co-founder. Yeah. I was the only operational founder, um, but okay. um, so I don't know what we call that these days. Um, I don't know, active? You know, but the silent partners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know what I they had, call it these days. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had two silent business partners who, yeah. um, I had three. Unfortunately, one of them passed away. Oh, he, was, he was an inspiring, fantastic man, full of wisdom. His son and I worked together. We didn't necessarily see eye to eye and, and we had a bit of a, a fallout um, later on, but his father was incredibly inspirational to me and um, his business partner that he'd worked with for 20 or some odd years uh, became a bit of a, a bit of a silent mentor uh, to me. It was interesting. Anyways, the journey was interesting. Let me tell you about ignorance. So uh, <laughs> Please do. The, the naivety and ignorance of, of starting a business when startup community doesn't exist. It's not okay to be a female running a company, especially in tech. It's not okay to be a female with an American accent in Australia um, in late 99, 2000s, you know, dot-com bust, Ansett crash, uh, you know, Twin Towers, all of these environments were around me, but I was so ignorant to it all. So I just kind of found loopholes. And there's some funny stories I love to share that, you know, startups do not have to experience now. If, if I had a phone, I had to buy a $2,000 telephone system and I couldn't rent an, a co-working space and I couldn't work from home. So I had to have a lease 
I had to have an office space. I had to have a landline, which is bizarre when we think about it. I'm in the Deloitte offices and nowhere do we have a landline. Yeah. I think maybe our concierge has one, but it's based on a, a VoIP system. Yes. It's a landline system. Um, you know, so the cost of creating a business was, was immense. And then the other barriers that came through were things like, uh, you know, I would pretend I was the receptionist. So I was the only employee and uh, <laughs> the landline would, <laughs> yeah, would ring and I'd say, oh, g'day, welcome to Unimail. And I'd put on my worst Australian accent and then they'd ask for me and then I'd put them on hold and then I would, you know, answer the phone. Oh, hello, Andrea speaking. And, you know, people believed that I had this receptionist. And, you know, when we had clients coming to the office, I used to literally get on my mates to come to the office. I'd work it around everybody's lunchtime. And so it was really funny now that I think about it. And I believe that sense of ignorance just allowed me to be kind of adverse to failure, but yet driven by it at the same time. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to fail because I saw this beautiful opportunity to create something that was uniquely mine, but I also didn't know what failure meant. Like if I lost everything and I always, I'd say this to, to young startup founders, like go big early because you've yeah. got less to lose. Yes. Um, you know, learn those mistakes find great mentors, ask all the dumb questions because you, you're not intrinsically connected to the outcome yet. And the older we get, the more risk averse. I ride motorbikes, you know, and I went and did this, another advanced course on the weekend and they were stating the statistics of crashes happen. And, and I'll ask you actually, do you yes. think a 25 year old and under is the largest amount of accidents or the 35 and over? Oh, now that you've kind of preempted yeah, me, I'm I think you preempted. So I, I know it's thirty-five over yeah. because they're they're worried about it and they probably attract that stuff. <laughs> you know, when you're like flying around a corner, you're more yeah. risk averse, and so you're more twitchy. Whereas when you're twenty-five, you're like, well, it's never happened let's to me before. So Fearless. let's yeah. let's go for it. And so I think that sense of naivety actually made those first four years really simple. It was actually the year of winning the Telstra Awards that hit me like a, a total train wreck. And there was a series of, of consequences and situations that occurred during that time, which was, I was in the middle of a lawsuit. Uh, yeah. I started my logistics business. So I was driving trucks, like driving, you know, one ton trucks and doing all the logistics stuff. I was growing at a rate of knots. Uh, we were making a, a lot of money, but I'm not really into stuff. So it was just like, I don't know, you know what we do with this. I don't know how to run a business that's in the millions of dollars. Um, and then we were also losing hundreds of thousands of dollars due to this lawsuit that would never go away. And, you know, there was all these things. And so I ended up having a, a nervous breakdown in 2009. And, you know, I reflect on winning the Telstra Business Woman of the Year Award, the Telstra Young Business Woman of the Year Award, which uh, goes to how long ago that was, 2009. And, um, and that afternoon, you know, when I should be celebrating, I went home and I closed all the curtains and I, the phone was ringing off the hook and I just would not answer anyone. I was having a massive anxiety attack and I didn't know how to deal with all of the things, the good, the bad, the indifferent. The people think anxiety only comes from bad things. Mm. Sometimes anxiety happens because it's just overwhelm of all the good things and how do you manage that you know and how do you not self-sabotage at the same time so so the first four years were 
simple. I think it was the, the, the next kind of six that got a little tricky. So obviously that was the, what, what, at that point, the business was still doing well when you had that anxiety attack, right? Or, or the, yeah. the first nervous breakdown. And then, it but was, I know right? also, yeah, sorry. It was leading into the GFC. So yeah. there was big looming things. So I had a lawsuit going on. I had a logistics business that was growing at like a hundred percent per annum. And this distribution logistics business was just, oh, you know, I think about now all the digital tools I would put in to automate, but this was so manual and so detail oriented and having to drive trucks and manage bookings and logistics of a hundred companies around Australia, working with wow. third party providers was, was a tricky one. It was a great business. I think it's still operational. We sold it actually. Um, but yeah, going through this lawsuit, uh, business partner and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye. And, and I obviously reflect now and realize, you know, my definite part in, the, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know how to lead. Like, yeah. I was young and ignorant and and successful very quickly too andrea that's also a hard thing to take when you're young and arrogant right like you know all of a sudden this arrogance arrived and and this sense of frivolity left and the sense of apathy kind of Mm. left and this oh god wait a minute now i've got to actually prove myself Mm. um kind of crept in and so yeah it was a it was was, there's some pivotal changes and pivotal moments in my professional life that impacted my personal life. And, and that was, I mean, that breakdown happened three days into a seven week uh, tour where I was um, with my soon to be, you know, at the time uh, was, uh, we were about to be engaged, uh, my boyfriend at the time. We were going to meet all of our friends and families. We were going to, um, so it was five weeks. We were going to seven countries in five weeks to stay at wow. other people's houses and meet all these strangers. And we thought we'd start off with a little week in Honolulu in Hawaii to just chill out after what was the most intense period of, you know, lawsuits and everything else. And, yeah. um, and we were also trying to buy a house at the time. And it's a lot. Like, it was just chaos. It was just not smart. And, um, and, you know, three days into the trip, I started, my brain started telling me things that I, I felt completely schizophrenic. I thought I was going absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah. And it progressively got worse. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll have a couple of glasses of wine at night and that'll make it go away. No, nothing stopped it. And, you know, this was 2009. So the stigma around mental health, having that conversation was mm. 10 times more than it is now. Um, and I just had... Yeah, I had no idea what to do. And that was a pivotal, pivotal change in my life, I guess. How did you get the help you needed? I know you said at that young age, because you were so successful, you know, arrogance creeps in. It's very easy because when you become super successful, what feels like overnight, four years is overnight in business world. How did you get past that, Andrea, and reach out for help? I'm just laughing because here I am in my corporate office drinking <laughs> a, a beer stein. Yep. <laughs> It's Deloitte, right? It's water, not vodka. Um, how did I get past it? So, look, it was the, this is going to sound so dramatic, but it's, it's worthwhile sharing. I, I phoned my dad halfway through and I said, and my dad and I have had a, a roller coaster relationship. So we were probably, you know, I don't know, midway at this point. And, um, and I said, I think I'm going crazy. I think I'm going absolutely crazy. 
And um, he said, what's, what's happening? And I just said, I'm, I feel like I'm not in love with this person that I'm standing with, even though I can't be away from him, like physically mm -hmm. being distanced from him would give me anxiety. Physically being next to him would give me anxiety. Yeah. Um, my brain was just, it, I could not stop it. And he's like talking me through this. This was, I was, you know, I had a country number four and I had another two weeks left to go. And mm. for anyone who has experienced anxiety, you know, they'll know that being out of your safe place is, is even more terrifying. You know, yeah. generally your home is, you're safe. It's you a routine, right? That you, yeah, you're you comfortable. All your elements. Yeah. Whereas I was, you know, I'll never forget we had to go to Switzerland. We'd gone out the night before with my soon to be brother-in-law. We'd had a big night in this club. I was spending kind of every hour, 20 minutes in the bathroom, pretending I had to go to the loo, but I was just trying to breathe and freaking out from the sensories and the noises. And then we got on a plane and flew to Switzerland. And then there was 13 cousins lined the driveway. Wow. And, you know, in Switzerland, you do the triple kiss, um, yes. which obviously Francisca knows very well, but, uh, yeah. you know, so I'm like, you know, triple kissing all the way down the driveway with all these 13 people that don't speak any English. And, and so I'm finding my dad going, I'm losing my mind. I, I kind of struggled through the next few weeks and I got back home and it was, I thought, oh, once I get home, I'll be fine. Once I get home, I'll be fine. And it was five days after I got home and I found myself, the only way that the brain would stop is if I did some element of self-harm. And the way that I did self-harm was that I would um, bang my head against the concrete wall in our apartment, not to the point of bleeding or bruising, but just, just enough. I'd kind of found that cushion point mm. that would redirect my brain to pain yeah. versus the roller coaster. And anyone who has had anxiety or self-harm, you know, you, you may be relating to, to this. And, you know, I never, I had so many judgments about people with depression and anxiety and self-harm and until these moments. And I realized exactly you know, what it meant for me. And it means yes. something different for everyone else, right? Yeah. But it was a really, yeah, it was a really trying moment. And my, um, my boyfriend caught me. Wow. And he came, it was the middle of the night because I couldn't mm. sleep. And, mm. um, and he caught me and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, it's, and I just was sobbing. I'm like, it's the only way it will stop. It's the only mm. way it will stop. And I found my dad in that moment again. And I'm like, dad, I just don't know what to do. And he said, mm. you need to go to the doctor immediately. Mm. And I went to the doctor the next morning and I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, but it was the right thing to do for me. It's, it's your, it's your experience, right? Everybody experiences yeah. this differently. I mean, I've had depression and anxiety in the family, so I, yeah. everybody does it differently. Well, and this was the thing, my family had never talked about it, but through these conversations with my dad, I realized that it was um, inherited Yeah. Um, as part of, you know, my, it was everyone in the family and, and there's, alcoholism in my family and, mm. and all these things can be intrinsically connected. So I thought I only had kind of one challenge of, you know, potential alcoholism in my family, but then dad's like, Oh no, there's anxiety. And I'm like, Oh great. Well, this, this would have been pretty helpful about, you know, a ten that generation, that generation didn't talk about it though, Andrea. No. no, And I just think, you know, how challenging it was for me. I can only imagine what it was like for my grandparents and, mm. you know, and all those that came back from the war. And so it, and it's, it's hard because I was hearing those stories and then thinking, yeah, but look at me, I'm this, you know, white woman in a Western world with all the luxuries and privileges. But, you know, these things are relative. Yeah. 
Mm. And they're subjective. And I've heard so much about COVID where people say, oh, yeah, but I've, I've not got it that bad. But you mm. have it bad for you. So I don't think people should devalue their own experiences of what they're feeling because it doesn't line up to a third world scenario in a genocide country. That wasn't yes. your raising of, of, of life. So, you know, in those moments, I had to really challenge myself to go to the doctor and say, oh, gosh, I've got this scenario. I went to the doctor the next morning and he asked me a series of questions and he automatically put me onto medication yeah. and um, also uh, locked me in with a um, psychologist. Yeah. And I remember walking out of that appointment and feeling as though my life had ended, which sounds so silly now. It's but not I thought, at all. I just, everyone kept saying, and this is what I don't like about the way we talk about mental health. Yeah. Everyone kept saying, your, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. You'll have to change everything. No one tells you, you know what? It's going to be awesome. It's never going to be the same. Let me tell you how much good is going to come from this. Yeah. And so the framing that I had walking in and out of that appointment was, my life is never going to be the same and it's going to be horrible. I'm never going to run a business. No one's going to, you know, want to work with me. I'm never going to be able to lead a team. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so I never told anyone. Oh, gosh. I didn't tell anyone. And, you know, I used to sit in client meetings just wringing my hands under the table trying to inflict some sort of pain or mechanism to try and stop my brain to just focus on this meeting. And um, up until, you know, going to the doctor. And I, and I went on medication straight away. He said, you'll have to be on it for at least a year. You've got to go see this psychologist. And it was, it was so terrifying because I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And I didn't want to tell anyone about it because I didn't want my life to change. I loved this yes. pace and this excitement and this energy. And this is so amazing. And for the next six months, I spent uh, three hours a week with a psychologist. And I took medication and it started to unpack a lot of the big mm. uh, situational and life scenarios that I needed to review. At six months, I went off the medication. The doctor advised me against that. Mm. I didn't like how medication made me feel. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, this is 11 years ago. So it was at yeah. a time when they were still trying to figure out i'm sure there's been huge changes in medications much better now I've, I've seen family members on it and yes yeah. there are side effects but probably yeah. not as harsh as it was back then yeah yeah i mean mm. i got a little bit chunky and uh <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff that we worry about and um and but it just made me fall, like really fuzzy and mm. i'm a i like being clear so much so that i you know, I don't like to get drunk. I don't like, even though I love beautiful alcohol beverages. <laughs> you like being in control. I, I like to be in control of my own sense of self, mm. not necessarily the situation. So long story short, uh, after six months, I went off the medication. Yes, I experienced some withdrawal around it. Um, yes, I had sporadic anxiety attacks. And also, yes, I have had um, situations where I've had uh, months of anxiety reoccur. Even in 2017, I had another bout for about six, seven weeks. Yeah. The difference is now I understand how I manage it. So yeah. it was a gift, right? Because I want to operate at 1,000%, at 7,000 RPMs. Like, I want that life. Yeah. 
Of course. Um, well, look at I, you now. You're a partner in, in Deloitte. You're, you're still operating at that, Andrea. <laughs> I, I am. I, I am. I am. I absolutely am. And I, I said, that's really the point I want to get across is like, yeah. you know, yeah, it might change your life, but it might change your life for the better. Mm. And, uh, you know, I wish I would have kind of seen that sooner. I realize yeah. I'm droning. So no, I'm, no, that's okay. I was going to ask you, that was 2009. So what happened between, what got you to India, Cambodia, all of that? I'll make it, I'll make that journey free and I'll (laughs) have more fun in the 214 to 216 because it's probably where I light up as well. Um, So the stats are seven businesses, two exits, all the awards, you know, great stuff. The the downside was that I had a business partner buyout that went pretty south. I had some finance issues uh, that were caught at at the last hour scenarios. I had the, the lawsuit that went all the way to the high court. I was a bit of an asshole as a leader for a, a period of time. And I had my entire team uh, kind of walk out on me one afternoon. Uh, and then eventually trying to scrape back the business, um, we declared voluntary administration and liquidation wow. and uh, we had to shut the doors. Hmm. And it, um, it broke me again. You know, so yes. here I was thinking that I'd solved all my issues in 2000. Well, well you made it for all intents and purposes. You had made it. In in, in the eyes of some people and yes. what success looks like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had to really look at what we we're going to do. And, you know, bless him. My, my husband and I are now divorced, uh, but he, he was such, a, he is a beautiful man. And he, um, he encouraged and got us to sell everything we owned, uh, including house, cutlery, everything you could possibly imagine. And we flew to Canada and we bought a caravan. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, no one's ever going to work with me again. You know, all this whole victim drama play game kind of kept going on again. He's like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just, this is the, the you know, people think there's freedom when you own a business. No, 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 no. There's I, no I tell people that all the time. <laughs> no. There's a lot of freedom in this role because yes. if I walk out, the team still have jobs. You know, if, if there's work for them, of course, if, if I walk out, the business still continues. I'm not kind of all tentacles intrinsically connected in withdrawing yourself from a company that you own and the people around like, that's a, that, that's not an easy gig. So it was the first time in almost 20 years that I'd had freedom, true freedom. Yeah, I can take holidays whenever I want. But this was like, I don't, I don't know anyone, anything. I don't have to pay anyone's salary. I just need to take care of myself. And that was a, an astonishing feeling. And so, you know, he's like, just, it's the first time we've ever really had freedom. Let's do this. And so we, we went to Canada and um, I slept for 16 hours a day. I was absolutely burnt out and buggered and emotionally toasted not only had the business gone on uh, then you know it was every step of the way the universe was telling me it's time to wrap this up it's time to wrap this up so much so that even when we shut down the business and i opened up a side consultancy that we just worked purely on projects um you know i had project teams <laughs> one of the people that i trusted and had given so much to <laughs> oh no we I were, can hear um, what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, you won't even imagine how this worked. She resigned suddenly, wouldn't tell me why. And then that night, this is why I love the universe so much. Because mm. I was like, no, it's still good to go. Like, we're going to make this happen. And then 
that night I went to the theater and she was standing in line with the client that had just pulled the pin on on a $13 million worth of work yeah. per year. And um, they're having an affair. Oh, wow. And so she had resigned. He was married. Uh, you know, all these kind of, and, and the universe was just like, you're just not getting it, are you, darling? Like, we have yeah. tried, we've tried to pull all these threads to kind of softly show you. And, and it's time to look at life 3.0. Mm-hmm. And so 3.0 was another big journey, which was going to, to Canada and buying the caravan and, and just kind of rebooting. And I spent the most beautiful two years doing the most in-depth self-exploration. Yes. Um, that was the greatest gift, greatest gift. Yeah, wow. I think it was, I don't know if it was one of your interviews that I listened to or something that you wrote. I I keep telling myself because I I keep hearing it ever since I read it, right? You said, was it Dean McAvoy who said, um, universe first gives you a feather. If you don't listen, it gives you a pine. And if you don't listen, it gives you not just one bricks, but probably a whole lot of them. I've had several bricks and I'm sure most of us had, but I just thought that was just so beautiful. And clearly you had your feather and your pines, but you just were not listening. <laughs> it's hilarious. It just slammed you with the bricks. <laughs> it could have been so much easier. You know, I was listening to, um, I love the book Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Uh, and I, I love Marianne Williamson. God. I'm a voracious, voracious reader. And, uh, she's one of my favorites and I reread different books, you know, Untethered Soul, those kind of books. And I feel like I'm slightly losing my way. And I was listening to it again this morning, Return to Love and just laughing out loud at how we think we've got control. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's, it's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's hilarious. So, and especially the A types, I think whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a leader in a business or just starting at wherever you are in life, whatever role you play, I think we all really do have this thing that we have complete control over everything. Yeah. And I think um, what I, what I get wary of is that when people say, Oh, we don't have control. People think that's apathy Mm. and that we don't do anything. Yes. And, and that's completely incorrect. It's, it's, you know, how do we connect to our greatest purpose and push towards that, but be open to the fluidity of what is actually possible. Yeah. And that there is a greater plan for us than we could have ever dreamt of. Mm-hmm. You know, my, one of my first jobs and a job I did for many years was I worked in petrol stations in Canada. And, you know, if you were to work in a petrol station here in Australia, it's not a big deal. But in Canada, especially where I'm from, it's minus 25 to minus 40 for a, a solid three months of the year. And in the 80s, you would go out and do full service petrol pumping. So you go out and pump the petrol for someone and, and you know, that's what I did from the yeah. age of like 12 to 16 and, you know, sporadically around jobs and, and it was minus 35 outside and I was living for the $1 tip I might get. And I never in a million years imagined I would have the life I've had. And, you know, I, whilst I would like to think that I've had a hand in making that happen, yeah. it's been my openness and willingness to flow with what you know, whatever your could be God or your spiritual power or whatever you believe in, your greater faith is mm. showing you your possibility to be and do. And I think that that's the, that's the most exciting way Absolutely. to live. Can you, I'm going to ask you a specific question, actually. In the time that you spent um, really going inward, which is what you did in India, Cambodia, Vietnam, mm. can you tell me maybe two things 
before we wrap up that you actually truly got that changed your life from those places? I know this is tough to pick two things. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to give two. Well, whatever comes to mind, even one. I, no, I'll, I'll, well, and again, the universe is going to tell me what I need to tell you. So yes. Cambodia, uh, Cambodia showed me the value of the diversity of mm. problems. So in the ashram, there mm. was those that were from an army background. There was the, you know, the corporate women looking for the, the detox retreat, even though this was, this is, there was nothing glamorous about this place. It was fabulous energy, but nothing glamorous. Um, it like the, the diversity of people that are trying to seek betterment for themselves mm. and how valuable that is. And why I thought about that is that one afternoon they, uh, every day they kind of shared a guru and some of the teachings of, of the guru. And I love Osho. Like yeah. he's one of my, my favorites. husband loves Osho. We've got the Osho book. He's obsessed. Great. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's a couple of great books that he's written. I don't ever recommend listening to the audio book because yeah. he does get a bit up himself, but that's, that's why I love this guy. Yeah. And there's some key principles that that came through, which was, you know, you don't have to be poor to do good. Mm. And, you know, and, and that when I sat in that room and they were sharing these principles about how they had this guru talking about his Bentley and at the yeah. same time, focusing on the power of good and social justice and the diversity of the conversation that went on due to the backgrounds. That was probably one of the most powerful moments in those two years for me. And that just still vividly, I'll never forget yes. seeing going, this guy is like something else. And I, I, the listening in on how people perceive that um, and why it was important was really, really interesting. Absolutely. I'm going to have to ask you before I wrap up, there's so many, again, we've got like a variety of listeners listening to this, yeah. young, older business owners, people working in corporate, people who want to make it, people who have made it, the whole lot, right? What would be two things that you would share with these people that could make a difference? I know I keep throwing these curlies. Thank you. So again, I'm just going to listen. And the first okay. thing, the first thing that... Um, that's coming to me that's really important is that the career is the squiggly line. Um, wow, yeah. And it's so interesting working in an environment where there's graduates that already have their 18 years planned out. Yeah. Um, and that there are people that have been here for 20 years or that you know graduates think they need to be honors with distinction in order to work in organizations like this. Yeah. And, and my absolute advice whenever it's asked for is the career is a squiggly line focus on your attributes of self like the being the best version of yourself mm. uh, which is my second point so the first point is the career is a squiggly line it actually adds value mm. the reason why you wanted to talk to me on this podcast is not because i am one of the leading partners running the space ecosystem sector mm. the super exciting no one, no one gives a shit what people care about is did i you know did i sing in nashville and did what i learn from a guru so the the professional experience gives me agency but the attributes gives me the the the, the benefits so the career is a squiggly line which brings me to the second point invest whatever you can into self-development mm. And I don't mean go and see a business coach and that, you know, 
map out everything. I'm suggesting emotional intelligence is the number one criteria for everything. And that that will buy you whatever you want in your life. That will remove the stories that you choose to hold yourself back with. That will remove the victimness and victimhood that stops you from creating the relationships you want. That will remove the, the, the fear and the self-esteem restricting areas that stop you from going for the opportunities that are available and present to you and that the universe is telling you you should, you know, you should seek because emotional intelligence allows you to see you for the greatest gift that you can bring to the world. And it's not a, okay, I'm gonna go do a four week program and that's it. This is a life practice. So read everything you can. There's so much online for you to read that's for free. You know, Joe Dispenza has free meditation. Oh my goodness, I love Joe Dispenza. (laughs) Anything you could possibly imagine. Uh, Elizabeth and Abraham, um, sorry, Abraham. Yeah, so if if you read the Conversations with God book, Remove the, the thought of like God and universe and whatever, because if that is a challenge for you, then that's what you need to explore. And exploring all those triggers mm. is actually the gift. You know, I've had relationships that people have questioned, why would I stay in those relationships? And they're not, there's no domestic violence or violence in them, but they're just not like the easiest to connect. And I realize mm. that the emotional intelligent part of me says, that's what I need to learn. And until I've learned that and at peace with that, then actually that roadblocks me, not just personally in my relationships, but professionally as a leader or any role I choose to play. So the career is the squiggly line. Number one, love it, embrace it, rock with it and roll with it. Go do weird things because adventures fill your soul, jobs fill your pockets. Like that is the number one thing to remember. And the second thing is invest whatever you can. And there's plenty of free stuff online. Invest whatever you can around self-development and emotional intelligence. Those are the key things. I'm so, so happy that you said both of those, particularly the second one. Very grateful, Andrea, because not enough leaders in the corporate world talk about that, right? So everybody talks about, you know, the the traditional learning, which is go and do an MBA, because if you need to get into Deloitte, if you're from Wharton, it'll get you into McKinsey, you know, all that usual straight line stuff. So it's just amazing to hear it from somebody in your position because I think the younger people need to hear that because that side of you, when you're so fulfilled and happy and full of joy, the career will just work. Yeah, it'll give you, it will give you exactly what you're meant to be. You know, I never in a million years thought, so, so I work in three really challenging sectors, energy and resources, real estate and space. I purposely put myself in those sectors because I want to save the world, both on land and in the air. Bless you. Right. So how am I going to make the biggest impact? Do I know what I'm doing every day? Little tip, not at all. Um, So, but, but, you know, this sense of emotional intelligence that I've learned allows me to go, I don't have to be the expert. I just need to be good at what I'm good at. And what do I want to do and live my purpose? And it's beyond the career line. It's beyond the job title. It's beyond what does the pay packet look like? Hmm. It's absolutely about who do you choose to be? in those environments and that that career line will work itself out absolutely i just want to say i I wanted to several times stop you during this but i just let you flow because i just wanted to say thank you so much for the authenticity and the courage to be that open because i want to start crying the courage to be that open because um it's very hard when you're a young person to see somebody that um that authentic so thank you well i'm very grateful for the opportunity to have 
long-winded answer <laughs> <laughs> three questions. No, um, but there are so many gems you have no idea. And and see, uh, you're in, in an absolute blessed position in the role that you're in because um, in, in the organization that you're in because what you say matters to a lot of people who generally take the traditional line. Entrepreneurs talk the talk that you talk. Very rarely do you see the corporate world speak the way you speak and as openly as and authentically as you do. So thank you so much for sharing so much and really appreciate, especially the part on the mental health, because God knows right now, so many young people need to hear it. COVID has been tough for teenagers, young people. Oh, everyone. So, it's really tough. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And really, pleasure. really, grateful, really grateful, Andrea. Thank you. Anytime, Maria. Anytime. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning into the Unstoppable Leader podcast with me, your host, Maria Patisetti. And if I may ask you for a favor, please drop me a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. I'd love your feedback and love to hear what you think. And if you want to stay up to date with me and the business that I'm in, then please check out my LinkedIn page, Maria Patisetti, or our website, theunstoppableleader.com. That is theunstoppableleader.com. Thanks for listening and until next time, be unstoppable.